your life and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are brittle. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. In today's episode, I sit down with Dave Seaver, owner of Mind Alive, a company that designs and manufactures equipment for improving brain performance with the expressed mission of enhancing the quality of their customers' emotional and cognitive lives. After graduating from the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology in 1978, Dave went on to take a position with the University of Alberta Faculty of Dentistry as a design technologist working in the areas of temporomandibular dysfunction, TMJ, and myofascial pain. It was during this employment at the university that Dave began to develop equipment for the TMJ Research Laboratory and Educational Psychology Department. These devices included TENS stimulators, biofeedback devices, nathodynamometers, and signal processing and EMG spectral analysis equipment. Today, Dave's company, Mind Alive, designs a range of products and services to improve various areas of your life, including but not limited to anxiety, ADD, ADHD, pain, post-traumatic stress disorder, athletic performance, and sleep. In today's episode, David and I talk about how to use audio-visual entrainment to elevate brain performance and increase mental clarity. We discuss some of Dave's most effective biohacks for improving sleep quality and ameliorating symptoms of ADHD and anxiety and mood disorders. He also shares some of the most effective ways to use cranial electrotherapy stimulation, CES, transcranial direct current stimulation, TDCS, and microcurrent electrotherapy, MET, to optimize mental health, relaxation, and well-being. So without further ado, please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Dave Seaver. Hey everyone, I know you'll enjoy the interview. If you'd like to learn more of my top biohacking secrets, get a free copy of my best-selling book called The Biohacker's Guide to Upgraded Energy and Focus for free at biohackersguide.com. It's over 500 pages of my top biohacks and I'll send it to you for free if you cover a small shipping cost. Get your free copy at biohackersguide.com. Dave Seaver, welcome to the show. My pleasure, Anthony. Thanks for bringing me on. <laughs> Can you share with us your story about how you got into audio-visual entrainment? No, what's kind of funny, you know, is that all my life, <clears throat> I've always loved electronics, and I've always loved uh, psychology. And uh, I was trained in electronics, and then I landed a job at the University of Alberta building a research lab for them to treat TMJ dysfunction, or TMD, they call it now, temporomandibular dysfunction. So people with jaw pain, headaches, back aches, shoulder aches, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and uh, uh, and so I was building a research lab for them. And while I was building the research lab, some interesting things <laughs> happened with all of that. Uh, one is is that we were making splint therapy for people. We were making splints. And I made muscle stimulators or nerve stimulators. I made fancy EMG uh, since we could look at all the muscle tensions in their jaws and this and that. And, and I just started thinking, boy, a lot of this is psychological. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on that's not a fit. One of the things I had to build, like a key piece of material, was a thing called a silent period detector. <clears throat> Basically, what that means is when our teeth come together, the skin around our teeth, called the periodontal ligament, it has a bunch of nerve endings in it, and they go to the trigeminal nerve just in front of our ears. <clears throat> and that's where the output goes to the muscles to make them contract. So when you bite and your teeth, as soon as they touch, they paralyze that. 
And so you'll see all this activity and suddenly it flatlines. And then it starts up again. And the length of that flat line, if you tap just a single tooth, just with a little hammer or anything, just tap it, you'll see it suddenly flatline for about 15 thousandths of a second or 15 milliseconds. So if a person has a really good bite and all their teeth come together really nice, they'll, they'll suddenly flatline for about 15 to 20 milliseconds. If they have a really bad bite, all the teeth are hitting at different times and those inhibition periods add up. And so they're 40, 50, 60 milliseconds. So the university had me design this, this uh, machine for them. <clears throat> and while we're testing all of our clients, and we did, we did like a thousand, uh, I started realizing that we had a lot of people with all kinds of jaw pain and tension and you know, headaches, all that. And they had short periods. And they did not respond to splints. Whereas the guys with long periods did. And when you put a splint in and then they bit on the splint, they're now at a short period because they had a nice bite on the splint. But if you already had a short period and you made a split, it didn't change that period. It didn't change their pain. Usually they would, their pain would go down for a couple of weeks and then it would come right back up. And then we'd, we would tweak the splint and it would go down for a couple of weeks and come right back up. <clears throat> and then we read some research where they found that actually it's a placebo response. Uh, and that's why they're only good for a couple of weeks. So that was interesting. So then I started having all these people fill out uh, life event uh, questionnaires and discovered that almost all of them were the wives of oil workers. And that was interesting. Well, in Alberta at the time, oil was down to like $12 a barrel. <clears throat> but unlike the Middle East, it's pretty expensive pulling the oil out of Alberta. I mean, we have a lot of oil here. You know, you've heard of the oil sands and all that stuff. Yeah, it's expensive to pull it out. And so when oil is $12 a barrel, everybody's worried about wage, wage rollbacks, layoffs, and everything else. And, uh, and these are their wives getting all stressed out. When oil, when OPEC put an embargo on oil in about 1988 or so, and oil jumped up, uh, hardly had any more patience because there was no worry anymore. Uh, so that was interesting. And uh, so anyway, while I was there, uh, we were doing all kinds of weird, strange experiments and this and that. We did some pretty weird things <clears throat> and kind of got a reputation for being mad scientists. And, and then an instructor in performing arts um, had heard about us, and he sent me an email one day. It was a pre-email. It was just barely their emails, I think. And the, uh, this is 1984. And uh, he asked me if I would design him this crazy flashing light machine with pulsing sounds that we, we and I've never heard of it before, not that it was far out there, new age craziness. <clears throat> and... Uh, but I decided to design them once. So I started that in November 84, and I finished it in June 85. Made a dollar an hour on it. <laughs> it was a much bigger job than I thought it would be, and than he thought it would be. And he couldn't nearly pay me enough now because we had redesigned the thing like three, four times before I got it finished. And uh, so I was going to call it NeuroStim or HemiStim, you know, something with a techie kind of brain name to it. And he said, no, no, you can't do that. He says, you've worked on this for practically for free. So I got to name it such a way that it kind of honors you somehow. So, because I have to put a name on the, on the panel. So he comes back a few days later and says, we're going to call it the David. I'm like, oh, geez. I mean, really? That's not that original. <laughs> he says, no, 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 digital audiovisual integration device or integrating brainwaves with digital audiovisual stimulation. And I thought, well, he's not going to pay me any extra. And that is a clever acronym, so I'm only making two anyway. Just one for him and one for me, <clears throat> because I was using it for my own anxieties, and it was working quite well. 
So I made his unit and made my unit. We put the David name on it. But of course, when you silkscreen stuff, you have to silkscreen at least 100 or 200, or it's very, very expensive. I think making one was 1500 bucks, but making 100 was $1,700. So we made 100, which was good. I destroyed the first five trying to make the panels. And uh, uh, so anyway, uh, that was the name. And then I started using it on our TMJ patients who wouldn't respond. And we were having really good results at getting their completely taking their pain away. <clears throat> so in 88, we finally did a study on it and, and published it. And we took our, our 10 worst patients with severe jaw pain and headaches for 10 years or more. And in 10 minutes, they were pain-free. And it would hold for a day or two. And the only thing is I only had one machine. He had the other one and I had the other one. So uh, so we could only then have to come into the office to get their, their, their light and sound treatment. So anyway, basically, I was only going to make two and that was 50,000 machines ago. So that's how it's, we've evolved from a big machine that was 10 inches by 10 inches and 3 inches high <clears throat> to nice little computer-controlled units now that are nice and small and pre-programmed. It took a lot of work, though, a lot of work. And I spent uh, well over a quarter million in studies trying to figure out what frequencies do what, piling it all and lecturing on it. And, and, and we're still discovering new things like the stuff for brain injury is amazing. That's what I was going to ask you. You have some really interesting research with ADHD and brain injuries, and I want to get to that. But one of the things, I, I have a number of your devices, and one of the things that has made me curious is how you determine the frequencies that you use. Um, is it, does it have to do with the, you know, is it, is it Nogier frequencies, Tesla, Solfagio? How did you, how do you determine the different frequencies that you use in your devices? Well, that was pretty simple. Unfortunately, nothing, nothing thrilling. <clears throat> we basically followed the neurofeedback model. There's delta, theta, alpha, beta, and there's different subjective states of mind associated with all those frequencies. <clears throat> so we just ran on that model. And, and you could, we could see on an EEG. I bought an EEG system uh, back in the uh, early 90s. And, and for people <clears throat> that don't know, what, what is an EEG system? Oh, an electroencephalograph. Yeah, so you put electrodes on the head and look at the brain waves that are coming out. So we were doing that and putting the gear on and proving or showing that the brain waves would respond to the frequency of the lights and sounds. And, and so we were assuming then that that was then the be-all and end-all. We could just we could modulate the brain up or down or whatever needed. Someone with ADHD, you modulate them up. Someone with anxiety, you modulate them down. Uh, but then it got more complicated. One of the things, and uh, I don't know if how much detail you wanted to get into this, but one of the problems with flashing lights is they can trigger seizures. So, and, and, and seizures are most easily triggered by square wave lights, so like a, a strobe. Something that turns on instantly and turns off instantly is, is, can trigger a seizure fair, uh, is the best way to trigger one, and red light. And all the brain machines, of course, had square waves and red light. There were the, everything wrong about them. And in the beta wave frequencies as well, which is not good either. That's, that's the other criteria for triggering a seizure. <laughs> so, although the seizures would still be rather rare. Uh, I mean, they're, 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 they're like, when they, do, when they trigger seizures with neurologists, they got intense strobe lights that hammer them with 50,000 lux. The typical brain machine doesn't put out 1,000, you know, so it's much weaker. But nonetheless, people were always concerned about it, right? So then we started changing our brain waves. Then we discovered that square waves made a third harmonic. Uh, which no one knew about and still hardly anyone knows about. So if you're stimulating at 10 hertz and you're trying to put someone to a meditation alpha frequency, if it's a square wave, you can quite easily generate a 30 hertz harmonic and trigger an anxiety reaction. 
And we can see this on the EEG when certain people, a 30 hertz harmonic growing, growing, then they get panicky. <clears throat> and uh, and so we, then we started making sine wave machines. And sine waves, the, the stimuli, the stimuli comes on and off nice and smoothly. And, uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't drive the brain nearly as hard, but it's a lot smoother and gentler and nicer. doesn't make harmonics, so you don't, have, you don't make anybody anxious and so on. But then we had to then modify all our electronics and how we're going to make sine waves and all of this stuff. So there was a lot of progression. Then we discovered other things. I don't know if you've noticed a couple other machines out there have like 100 protocols, and you can't possibly pick one. It's just too many. <clears throat> well, we used to have 40 in hours. And, and one of the things we discovered, we don't know, because entrainment, now this is something that hardly anyone knows. This has been a really well-kept secret. But entrainment has a tendency to inhibit, uh, or at least non-square wave entrainment, like sine wave entrainment has the tendency to inhibit the half frequency of stimulation. So if someone has ADHD and they're cranking on a lot of 7 hertz brainwaves, uh, EEG, uh, if you give them 14, it will squash out the 7. And this is on our website. I've got articles on our website showing this. And so you automatically get that theta down, and you also put up the F the 14, which is really good for calming them down, taking the hyperactivity down, as well as improving their attention simultaneously. <laughs> so we're learning these things. And, uh, but then we realize that if you randomize the stimulation, not too much, just a bit, you don't need 40 protocols. You can get away with like 15 or 20 and cover pretty much everybody. <clears throat> because the randomizing allows it to fit all kinds of different variances in brainwave, natural brainwaves that people produce. So that makes it easier to use. And as you know, on the device that you have on the alert there, or, or smart, uh, there's uh, only I have, I have the smart and the, the Delight Pro. Okay. And the smart has 10, and that covers a lot of people. Uh, the Delight Pro has some more protocols just for those extra people that are tougher to treat with the smart. <clears throat> but... Uh, you can pretty much get away with under 15 protocols if you randomize them, and you don't randomize them too much. So we did a year's worth of study with different uh, psychologists experimenting with different degrees of randomization before we settled on the perfect, what we thought was the perfect range. Uh, so anyway, there's been a lot of progress. And then there's all the studies we did you know, on top of that, ADD studies, the pain studies, the, <laughs> the senior studies with cognition, and the latest one... Uh, it's on our website on our, in my article. Uh, <clears throat> if you go to mindalive.com and click on the research tab, then the top listing says research articles by Dave Siever. There's a whole list of stuff that's published that I've published over the years in different magazines. Well, the seniors one, that, the latest one that came out, showed that the average age of the seniors was 68 years old. And they, they did memory studies on them, and they also did EEG. So they looked at their peak alpha frequency. And alpha waves slow down as we age. And that's a sign of going into cognitive decline and, and dementia, is slowing brainwaves. And so nobody wants their brainwaves to slow down as they start getting seven years of age. It's not good. Anyway, this group, their brainwaves actually reflected a little better than what you typically see in 68-year-olds. It was pretty good, about nine and a half cycles per second <clears throat> was their alpha frequency. But about one month of using the, uh, the Delight, the David Delight, on a brain-brightening protocol that we designed for this particular study, which is a beta SMR simultaneously, then it went to alpha, then beta SMR, then alpha. Well, we doubled their immediate and delayed memory, doubled it, which is very good. And we sped up their brain waves. And basically, their brain waves at the end of one month were equivalent to that of a 50 year old. So, it took almost 20 years off their brain age. That was impressive. 
That's, that's very impressive. Now, I'm with you. I'm enjoying this. For people that may not be as familiar with audiovisual entrainment or even where, where a healthy brain operates in terms of hertz and the, the difference between delta and alpha and theta and beta, would you mind giving like a very brief overview just so they can, they can make sense of the changes that are taking place with your devices and in these studies? Like where's a healthy person and uh, so on and so forth? There's a couple of things to a healthy brainwave. One is when you close your eyes and you're just sitting in a relaxed, quiet room, you make alpha spindles. And they should be around 10 to 10 and a half cycles per second. They're a really good brain. And the spindle should only be about one to two seconds long. If the brain is slow, then you're struggling with slowness. You can't think your way through things. You can't do anything complicated. Everything is a challenge. <clears throat> if the spindles are long, you're always foggy-headed. And you're always kind of shaking your head and banging it, trying to drink a coffee. Well, in either case, you're trying to drink a coffee or something to try to speed it up <laughs> and, and get, this, get the long alpha trains out. So long alpha trains are really bad. They really make you foggy. Uh, and uh, slow brains just make a person really slow and check, you know, they can't handle things well. And they're just very slow and not, not too sharp. And of course, ADHD kids are slow. Seniors with dementia are slow. Brain injuries often slow down as well. And they can also make long, long alpha trains at, at the same time. Seasonal affective disorder makes long alpha trains. <clears throat> and we see that a lot in other people too with brain injuries or, uh, well, mild injury or, say, seasonal affective disorder or other issues like that. Low thyroid. Low thyroid slows it down as well. So you get the foggy head and also a slow head <clears throat> uh, from both of those parameters. So what a lot of people would refer to as brain fog could be long alpha brainwaves. Yeah, they could be long alpha brainwaves. We certainly see enough people who have brain fog, but their brains are great. The frequency is great. I mean, they have a really intelligent frequency. They're just fogged out all the time. It's like they're in a, per a permanent eyes open meditation. And when you're driving your car and doing this and that and trying to get work done and your eyes are open and you're trying to be on task, if you're making the long meditation brainwaves, you're just always... You know, trying to get the cobwebs out and giving your head a shake and all that stuff. Yeah, so it's kind of like uh, the long meditation brainwaves are kind of like what we would equate to daydreaming, spacing yeah. out. Yeah, spacing out, yeah. Okay, and, and delta is more associated with sleep. How do you distinguish between beta? Beta is when people are concentrating, right, and focused on a specific task or anxious? Yes, yeah, sort of. Now, beta itself rarely changes. Uh, typically, it's around five microvolts, whether your eyes are open or closed, or you're sleeping, or you're doing math, or whatever. What does change is your, <laughs> if you close your eyes, like typically, uh, you might be making five microvolts of, there you go, five microvolts of beta, but 20 microvolts of alpha. Especially if you're a good meditator, you can get that alpha even higher okay. and give your brain a good break. And then when you open your eyes, that 20 microvolts of alpha now drops down to about 10. And then if you do a reading task, it drops down to like six or seven. If you do a math task, it gets down to five. So what's really happened is your beta hasn't gone up, but your percentage of beta has gone up. Because in eyes closed, you're making 20 microvolts of alpha and five of beta. So that's, your beta is 5 25ths, so 20% of your brain activity is beta. But when you're on a math task, it's now half because it's five and five, five tenths. So it's really the percentage. Of, that's a mistake that people make all the time. They think the beta goes up on task, but reality is the alpha goes down, and the theta typically goes down with it. But the alpha is the big rhythm that goes down. 
that's that's interesting. And how how do you distinguish between what are the different roles between alpha and theta? Because certain meditations will refer to bringing you into a theta state. Certain will refer to bringing you into an alpha state. What what's what's the different roles those two play? Yeah, well, typically uh, alpha eight to thirteen cycles, but but mostly it's at ten. And and really sharp people can get up to an eleven. There's a performance curve, and I got all these slides I could. Uh, it's too bad I can't show my slides, uh, but I, I use them. I teach a course with Saber University, and so I have all these on the slides. Maybe Saber. we can uh, maybe we can link to them in the show notes to some of your presentations and, and slides. Sure, but there's a there's a curve, and if your brain is too fast, you are really really sharp, but you can't function. You get exhausted, and you can't function. If your brain is and you have anxiety from too much gas, like the, the pedal is down. If your brain is slow, you also can't function. You're not nearly as cognitive as a fast brain, but you still have anxiety because you now you have no brakes. You don't have really much gas. So between the fast brain and the slow brain, like a lot of people think if your brain is faster, it's actually better, but it's not. It actually can make you worse. Up to about 11, 10 and a half, maybe 11. Some people can handle 11 cycles per second. After that, people start developing anxiety disorders. And uh, Anyone that's drink, that, that's drink too much coffee can probably identify with that. Yeah, coffee can will speed it up for sure. Uh, coffee triggers norepinephrine, which is the brain's adrenaline, uh, and so it'll speed it up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so there's an optimum place for the brain to be, and you don't want to be slower than that. You don't want to be higher than that. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, between genetics and all kinds of other things, uh, fluoride in the water, nutrition, pesticides, uh, glyphosate, which is you no know, Roundup, mm-hmm. <clears throat> all these things are neurotoxic. An interesting study shows that in the United States, for instance, if you take the population of the U.S., and they've looked at all the different towns and cities and their fluoride concentrations and how the percentage of ADHD kids in each town and city. Well, there is roughly, nationwide, if for every part per million in fluoride that the U.S. would put in their water supply, which would yield 100,000 more ADHD children. Because the fluoride in the water is it's, it's nasty stuff. It shouldn't be there. Uh, a, it's a byproduct of making phosphorus uh, fertilizer. It's not even the real fluoride that was done in the dental studies. It's fluorosilicic acid. That's what's in our water. And uh, it used to be used as rat poison. And Merck used to actually sell it as an antithyroid med. And so it actually, literally, people with healthy, with healthy uh, thyroids... It competes with iodine for absorption, and a lot of us are kind of deficient in iodine anyway. <clears throat> and then you get the fluoride in there blocking it, and it slows our thyroids down. So all kinds of people out there are looking like they're ADD or ADHD when really it's because they're drinking the water. That, that's really interesting. It's, it's something that I've talked about with a lot of clients and covering the book. And one of the, the things that people ask me is, okay, if fluoride's so bad for us, why are our municipalities putting it in the water you think that they would be aware of that what what do you respond when you get that question oh yeah i just sent off because calgary right now calgary is the city south of edmonton they've been off fluoride now for for four or five years and the dental association just released a study suggesting that in kids they're on average they're averaging about two more cavities in the, now than they are in edmonton in the teeth right but it is so bad because they don't care all they're dental people no, if your only tool is a hammer, the whole world's a nail. They're dental people. All they look at is the teeth. They don't know what's going on in the brain. They don't know that, that fluoride is increasing bone cancer and breast cancer. They don't know that it increases depression and ADHD, and they don't care. 
And they're just looking at tooth decay. That's it. Meanwhile, studies have shown that if you put in full-spectrum lighting into classrooms that have a UVB component, which makes vitamin D, you reduce, reduce tooth decay far more than fluoride ever will. And there are no nasty side effects at all. Kids have less school days because they have a better immune system. So they have better attendance. They miss less days. And they have better grades than kids in regular controlled uh, classrooms without full-spectrum lighting. So you don't need fluoride at all. And even more modern studies are showing that uh, but there's no difference. It all comes down to oral, oral hygiene. If you brush your teeth well, you, there's no difference in cavities between using fluoride and not using fluoride. And an example I always give to people, how many people own dogs and cats? And by the time the cat or the dog are 10 years old, often you're pulling 10 teeth. You know, and they don't even eat sugary foods. They eat in dog chow. Right. And uh, so how come all their teeth are rotting out if fluoride was so good? Right. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because a lot of the studies on fluoride, they show, even the ones that were done by the, de the dental associations, they show that it benefits when applied topically, not when ingested. Yeah, exactly. Ingesting is not good. And it was the original studies were done on sodium fluoride or calcium fluoride, not on industrial waste, which <laughs> is the uh, fluorosicilic acid. Do you think fluoride is, is the most problematic neurotoxin most people are exposed to on a, on a weekly basis? Uh, it's just one of them. Uh, like in the wintertime, a lot of us are bringing vegetables in from California. Well, they're quite laced with perchlorate. Perchlorate is a neurotoxin for sure. It's used to kill insects, and it's not good for us. Uh, uh, PFOA, uh, which is Teflon, is found to be neurotoxic. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of things out there that are neurotoxic, you know, car exhaust. All kinds of things out there are definitely neurotoxic. I mean, Roundup's neurotoxic. Yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned glyphosate. That's, that's one of the, the main reasons that I recommend people stay away from GMOs and buy organic. Absolutely, absolutely. And so much more stuff is becoming GMO all the time. So we've got to fight that, that, people, that poison, that, that form of poison. Sunscreen. I mean, there's endocrine disruptors all over the place. Yeah. Hormones in our meat, hormones in I mean, stuff in plastics like be you know uh, biphenyls, bisphenols, uh, phthalates, and plastics. Uh, most of these things mimic estrogens, and sunscreen is the worst. Uh, there are about a hundred chemicals in sunscreen. About half of them mimic estrogens. Another quarter are antithyroid, and another quarter are anti-androgen. And they're definitely the worst things for guys to ever put on their bodies. Not so bad for ladies because of the. Uh, they say they, they go in favor of estrogens. And, uh, and uh, it, they're terribly toxic things, uh, sunscreens. Never should use them. Yeah. And don't, don't touch them. I, I haven't used sunscreen in probably close to a decade, and that's including trips to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and, and all sorts of places. You just, do you use sunscreen? Never, never. 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 Ever. No, I will wear clothing, but I will never use sunscreen. And I tan. Uh, I tan in a tanning salon year-round. As well, do I. All winter? <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> in tanning, the thing about vitamin D versus vitamin D sulfate, a tanning makes vitamin D sulfate. <clears throat> That's the good vitamin D because it's sulfated and it's biologically active. That's what the Inuit people ate when they ate seal blubber and Arctic fish. Wild fats are loaded with vitamin D sulfate. When they purify it into a vitamin, it's just vitamin D. The sulfate is not there, and it really doesn't work well. Right. And for some people, it doesn't work at all. It doesn't work... Vitamin D only works for me as a supplement if I'm tanning. Then I can balance the two out. 
<clears throat> if I don't tan, vitamin D sulfate or the vitamin D quits working in about a month, month and a half. Quits working completely. Yeah, there's, and I've done blood tests to show this. There's a right. lot of people that, that have that as well, where they can only they, they can only utilize vitamin D that is that is manufactured from sunlight, and you specifically UVB. Uh, yes, yes, and uh, in fact, that's one of the things that that is really annoying right now because I've been sending more and more of my clients to sun tanning salons, and one of my bigger stories aside from people with depression and anxiety, but I have this this fifteen uh, year old girl. <clears throat> a really beautiful girl, and uh, she was cutting her. She has OCD, and she's been at really high anxiety and depression. Her brain was peaking out at seven hertz. She had to drop. She dropped out of high school. She couldn't learn anything with a brain at that speed. I mean, that's like severe dementia. And the girl is really white as a sheet. She doesn't like to tan, and uh, and she's cutting her legs with a knife. She's got OCD, and she's all these knife marks all over her legs. And I thought, and I've been talking with my colleagues about nutrition for the brain, and, and I'm saying, well, but vitamin D sulfate, the tanning, the smear campaign against uh, sun tanning salons is killing people by the millions. And Let's, uh, let's go into that a little bit after this, too. Sure, sure. So let's get her down to a test, and let's do a little study. So she scored 200 on the SCO. It's called the System Checklist 90. It's a questionnaire that my clients always fill out here, and that's a very high score. The norm is 50. Uh, I sent her to a sun tanning salon, Interesting, after her first tan, she quit cutting, never cut again. Because tanning jacks the brain up with serotonin and dopamine. And almost all psychiatric disorders are low levels of serotonin and dopamine. <clears throat> so the tanning automatically treats the brain just like that. Uh, but it has to be a particular type of bulb. I'll get to that in a sec. Uh, so in two weeks, she was down to about 140 from 200 on this checklist. And in one month, she was down to 100 and feeling a whole lot better. And her brain sped up and she went back to school. Just from tanning? Just from tanning. Tanning, uh, studies have already shown that tanning can push up your, your uh, IQ at least 10 points or more. I bet she got a good 20 or 30 point increase in IQ from tanning. What bulbs do you Well, you got clients yeah, You really got to stick with the low pressure bulbs and 5% ultraviolet B. Can it be uh, higher better? than that? Or higher. Okay. Or higher is even better. Uh, the sun that we typically get at high noon, you, you get your most vitamin, uh, your most UVB at high noon, high solar noon. So in daylight savings time, it's usually between one and two for most places. <laughs> and uh, and never when when the when the dermatologist says you should only tan in the morning and tan in the evening, because moisture in the atmosphere absorbs UVB. If you tan before ten or after four, you're getting almost entirely UVA. UVA makes melanomas. You don't want to tan then. You don't want to tan as close to solar noon as possible, which is between 1 and 2. And then you should get 4, maybe to maybe 5%. You can, like on June 21st uh, in uh, in Chicago, you might get 5%. Uh, and then, it gets, then, of course, then it goes, the levels go down after that because as you start getting back into the winter cycle, <clears throat> the sun angle increases all the time, and so your UVB levels, unfortunately, go down. I did a study on myself last fall. Uh, last fall, I tanned as much as I possibly could. Now, we're, of course, we're further north than you are. We're 53 and a half degrees here in Edmonton, in Canada here. But uh, I tanned every day. I went to the lake on my boat, tanned every day, or not every day on the boat, but every day I was almost tanning. And, and then about the 20th, right, the equinox, actually 21st of September, I thought, okay, I've been tanning like two hours a day, every single day, practically. I should be loaded up with vitamin D. 
But of course, the sun is getting weaker and weaker and weaker. Plus, I'm quite brown at that point. <clears throat> and uh, my vitamin D levels were already at 34 nanograms. And optimum is 65. That, so so that, you were at 34 nanograms per milliliter tanning two hours a day? <laughs> Practically. Yeah, and by September 21st. That seems That's low. Not, it is low. That's just, well, A, I'm 59. So as you age, you make less vitamin D. But also, it just goes to show how little I was getting uh, from the sun anymore. I mean, that, really that makes you think that even many people, even if they're getting 20 minutes of sunlight a day, they could be very well be vitamin D deficient. Absolutely. Yeah, and a lot of people are. Yeah. And you, gotta, you can't attend as near as you can to high noon and as naked as possible. Right. That's, that's what I say. And I always encourage everyone, if they go to a tanning salon, to tan naked. Because there's all that nice skin on our bottoms that we've hardly ever exposed to the sun. That's put into use. It makes the vitamin D. Yeah. <laughs> but right now... Uh, or last year, there was a, a physician on the, on, the, on the news talking about this pandemic in the Arctic, an Inuit pandemic. All the young people are really sick. They've got depression, anxiety, sleep disorders, diabetes, heart disease, psychosis, and all this stuff. And he says, we don't know why, but the seniors are fine. Well, it's because the Inuit no longer will eat seal blubber. They're, well, they're taking a Western diet, and you've got... In the Arctic, you've got two choices. You've got to eat, either eat seal blubber to get your vitamin D sulfate, or you got to tan. And you can't tan in the Arctic. They're all full of disorders now in the young Inuit people because they've lost the tradition. I mean, those traditions were important for survival. And, you know, and medicine isn't putting two and two together. They're not connecting the dots. Yeah, I, I mean, even so, I, I recommend almost all of my clients tan. I mean, you have, you have studies that show people with multiple sclerosis they tan and it, it has benefits for autoimmune disorders and, and MS and things like that. Just a, across the board, across the board, there are these benefits. But even so, when I make this recommendation, people are very concerned. What do you use? What studies do you reference to alleviate those concerns? Oh, I, I send out a, a whole mitful of studies to all people who have concerns. <clears throat> I've got a, at least a dozen studies that are huge. In a, in a, in a quick summary, our son that we get on, on, the, on Earth here, that, that we, that in terms of the sunlight that we get on Earth, uh, after it's gone through our atmosphere, we're getting roughly 95% UVA and 5% UVB. The UVA makes us brown, is what actually tans us, but it also makes melanomas. The UVB burns us, but it makes all the vitamin D sulfate that keeps us healthy. And vitamin D sulfate is an anti-cancer carcinogenic hormone. Everyone who tans have roughly one-third to one-quarter of any form of cancer compared to non-tanners or sunscreen users. One-third to one-quarter. There have been long-term studies, like five- and ten-year studies done on this. So this is when we look outside of just melanoma. Yes. When we look at all cancers. So this is very similar to the dentist situation. If we're only yeah, looking absolutely. at cavities. Everybody's tunnel vision. And they're not even looking at all the autoimmune disorders. They're not looking at heart disease. They're not looking at Parkinson's, dementia, um, uh, muscle weakness and fatigue, bone weakness and fatigue, uh, loss of brain function, nearsightedness, uh, hearing loss. All those things are tied to uh, not getting enough tanning, strokes, aneurysms, and all forms of cancer. And just watch how many people you notice come springtime. Um, and cognitive declines, of course. But look at how many people come springtime are being diagnosed with cancers and uh, 
uh, strokes, aneurysms, all this stuff because they've been deficient all winter in vitamin D. And a study out of Sweden actually showed that. They showed that people diagnosed with, because Swedes like to tan a lot, and people diagnosed with cancers of any kind in Sweden have a much better uh, success rate if they're diagnosed in the spring than if they're diagnosed in the fall. That's and, interesting. Yes, and there are huge studies done on, on tanners versus non-tanners, uh, like 20-year studies, some of these studies, 30,000 people, showing that the people who don't tan or who use sunscreen a lot have over twice the mortality rate of the people who tan. Twice the mortality for any cause. And, and, and one quarter of the overall cancer rate? Yes. So out of Massachusetts, they had the dermatologist uh, put into a database people they were removing melanomas from. And, uh, and they also had to put another other criteria, like did the person burn annually? Or they were, they were, or they were just a really good tanner annually, did they tan a lot? Did they use sunscreen exclusively? Did they stay indoors exclusively? And things like this. And after five years, the burners had two and a half times the survival rate of the sunscreen users. The burners did. Because that's the protective power of vitamin D, sulfate, from tanning. So, yeah, very important. Absolutely important. One of, uh, one of the things that, now, that I found really fascinating was a study that I heard, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I heard it was the largest study ever done on tanning and melanoma, and it involved like 100,000 participants over eight years. And they found that just looking at melanoma, the people who use tanning beds had a 50% higher risk of melanoma. Now, what they didn't tell you was that those actual numbers were, uh, the, the people that were using tanning beds, it was two-tenths of 1%. So basically like 0.2% or 0.3%, I think it was, was the, the cancer rate in melanoma, uh, for, for melanoma in, in tanning bed users. Whereas the people that didn't use tanning beds, it was like 0.2%. So oh, that's, oh, sure. it's, it's almost yeah. nothing. Well, the other thing is, too, I'm going to give you two scenarios tied to that. First of all, um, when it comes to cancers, because vitamin D from tanning prevents all forms of cancer, and because if you go to a dermatologist annually to get a checkup for melanomas, it's really easy to cut a chunk of skin out. It's not so easy to remove a prostate or a lung or a brain or, uh, <laughs> or, or uh, what else, uh, pancreas right. or liver. Yeah. And when you get an internal cancer, it's, it's very uh, not good for you. It's, it's, not, it's definitely a bad way to go. A lot easier to remove melanoma than an organ. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's the other thing. The other thing is, is that these studies that were done on sun tanning, <clears throat> I mean, in the old days, when, when sun tanning beds first came out, they were pretty much entirely UVA. It was get brown. Mm. They hadn't made the UVB connection. And so get brown. So there was no vitamin D generated, so the odds of having melanoma was certainly went up, and that's what those studies are based on. And they're not even based on a proper bulk. The other thing, and now this is because there's a billion dollars in the sunscreen industry, so you're not going to fight those guys. But sunscreen blocked what? UVB. Only UVB for 40 years. Just the last half a dozen years or so, it's been wide spectrum, and it blocks A and B. But for a good 40 years, since the 70s to <clears throat> pretty much 2010, it blocked B only, maybe 2005, it blocked B only. All the A went right through, and because people aren't burning, they're in the sun twice as long, or three times as long as they should be, and they're not making any vitamin D to protect themselves. 
And melanomas and sunscreen users, all the studies show three to 400% increase in melanomas if you use sunscreen. It was really dangerous stuff. And then you got all the estrogen problems along with it. They have found that people using sunscreen have higher estrogen levels than estradiol. But because it's not marketed as a hormone disruptor, it's, the FDA has no interest in it. So you, you mentioned the issues with blocking UVB. What are some of the other <laughs> problems with sunscreen that, that make it or something people should stay away from? Well, the biggest things really are, well, some of the chemicals in sunscreen are, have been proven to be photocarcinogenic. So they become carcinogens under exposure to light. How's that <laughs> for a sunscreen? And paraben caused a 400% increase. And they knew about that for a good 10 years or longer before they finally pulled it from the market in sunscreens. It was a real dangerous chemical. Yeah, I've heard roughly 50 to 75% of the sunscreens that are available for sale in the U.S. are not, uh, they don't meet the standards held by the the EU for, for their safety products. True, and even if they did, you don't want to use them anyway. Um, you know, they've really shown that zinc oxide, the old form, not the nanoparticle form, but the old pasty one, was about the only safe, safe one you could use. But still, even with all of that, they have found that fish downstream <clears throat> from cities where there's a lot of sunscreen use, all the male fish especially are all deformed uh, genitally. They can't reproduce. Uh, they're all messed up because of all the estrogens in them. And they have also found now a direct link with sunscreen use in... Uh, wintertime travelers and, and the deaths of the coral reefs. It's not global warming that's killing the coral reefs now. It's sun, sunscreen. Wow. Yeah. So, so you, you told me, you shared with me a pretty interesting story earlier with some of the ADHD student, uh, patients that right. you see, specifically children. What, um, what type of research are, are you finding in, uh, in, your, in your practice? Well, yeah, okay. Well, first of all, yeah, so what we do for good brain health, I guess I should get back to that too a little bit. Well, I tan all winter, for sure. Uh, I eat well. I eat organic. Uh, I all work organic? Out, you know, I don't eat any breakfast cereals. If you've got, especially if you've got a, a, a troublesome brain, never eat breakfast cereal. It's low, unless it's, or, if it's organic, not so bad. Uh, in fact, organic's probably okay, but if it's not organic, you're just eating chemicals. And all the nutrition's been removed, practically, because they, they, when they form the, the flake or the Cheerio or whatever it is they're forming... It's not, that's under that's pressure cooked under seriously high pressure when the extruder, but as they blast it through the extruders. So even if it says shredded wheat or it says you know bran flakes and it looks healthy, there's nothing in it. There's just uh, well the Roundup survives and the uh, and the uh, and then they pull it through sugar. And studies have shown that kids who eat breakfast cereal have two problems. One is they become ADHD after they eat the cereal, and it spikes dopamine and they actually get addicted to it. And, and just it's dangerous. To, to catch people up, you've mentioned Roundup and, and glyphosate a couple times. That's that's an herbicide that um, a lot of people are familiar with with Monsanto. Correct me if I'm wrong. Gly- uh, glyphosate is an herbicide that Monsanto uses, particularly on like corn, soy, canola oil, and a lot of those those products. And then and then that makes its way into the grains and a lot of the the food derivative derived from those products. Yes, and it also it also destroys uh, all the gut bacteria. And gut bacteria is very important, too, because it stimulates the vagus nerve and helps increase serotonin and dopamine in the brain and help us feel more calm and relaxed. And there's studies showing you know, anxiety and depression going up after people get on antibiotics, for instance, because they destroyed all the gut bacteria, which is really good for the brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, so there's a lot of things. So, I mean, for me personally, I keep fit. Uh, I see. I take iodine. Um, I, I take uh, what, a product. What form called, do you take iodine? I take Iosol. That's the one I like, and I trust it. And uh, I don't take it every day. I think I get too much if I take it every day. But I take it two, three times a week, and it comes out of California. Is that the, I, the Iosol Formula Two drops? Yeah, the drops. Yeah, Iosol. Uh, and that's that's an ammonium ion. It's an iodine and ammonium iodide, and it's a good blend. Uh, I take it. Uh, there's some other iodine products out there that you have to be careful with, very careful with, and some that don't seem to work. Uh, I take True Hope, which I think is a great product. It has two dozen studies on itself for depression, bipolar, ADD, uh, anxiety, and all kinds of stuff. Of course, I, I suntan and I work out, and my my uh, so I run in the summer a lot. Um, I still can run. I can still run six miles uh, in an hour, which is pretty good. I uh, I work out most more in the weights in the winter time, but um, fitness is very important for brain health, brain volume, brain size. It's very good, and you keep the dent. The brain always is either growing or it's pruning, and it's constantly in a state of flux. Parts are growing, parts are pruning, and it makes dendrites. <clears throat> my my theme actually is called dancing in the dendrites. And uh, when we're making dendrites, we're learning, especially if you're having fun. Because when you learn and you're having fun, then the brain is making dopamine and you learn a lot faster. I've actually written a song on this called Dancing in the Dendrites. I could send it to you. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And uh, <clears throat> so if you're having fun and, uh, and you're learning new things, and especially a variety of things, and I, I do as many things as I can. Uh, like uh, I, uh, I, well, I run, I bike, I, I cross-country ski, I downhill ski, I scuba dive, I fly radio-controlled airplanes. I write music, I sing, I play, I do math, I do engineering, I dance. Yeah, as many things as I possibly can do. Walk on railroad tracks for balance, like on the rails. Very good. That's a very tough skill, uh, skill to do. Uh, and it's very beneficial. Just don't get hit by the train. Make sure that you're not listening to a, you know, don't, make sure you don't have the earbuds plugged in when you're doing it. Don't be, but to, don't be wearing your uh, David Delight Pro while you're walking on the railroad tracks. <laughs> no, that, not either, no. Uh, but if you can walk a half a mile on a rail without falling off, it not only is it good for your balance, but it's amazing for your attention. I think that you could treat a lot of ADHD kids with have them walk on railroad tracks. Put their favorite toy half a mile down the track, and when they get there without falling off, they get the toy. And I bet you could treat a lot of ADHD with it because it, it seriously works your attention. Seriously works your attention. You get Try it. You get distracted just a little bit, you're off the track. Yeah, just so quick. That that's great. I was I was having a conversation with uh, Dr. Alan Christensen, who wrote the Adrenal Reset Diet, and he was talking about uh, he has a similar approach to you. He tries to integrate fun into all of his workouts, and yep. um, he had found that he was he was big into like mountain biking, and he found that it was it wasn't stimulating him the same way than it had that it had for a long time. He was doing a lot of the same trails, um, and and he just noticed his brain wasn't responding the same way. <laughs> So he went and he started doing uh, unicycling, but mountain unicycling. So they, they get, they've got these like mountain bike tires on a unicycle, and he, he goes, you take, you take away one of the wheels, and it's a whole new world for your game, oh, yeah. <laughs> for, your, for your brain. He's like, everything, you're seeing everything for the first time. Juggling, cool. for juggling's great, or learning to juggle, even just the process of learning to juggle, things like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, very very difficult. No, that's great. I love that. I definitely got to try that. Yeah. Like when I when I run, I never run on a flat surface. 
I always run on an uneven surface. So I always run on the grass uh, because, and, and then I jump, I, I jump onto all the light standards and any other uh, objects I find, park benches, picnic tables, whatever. <clears throat> I jump on everything I can because, uh, like I say, the brain is either growing or pruning. And typically as people age, here's a good example of a pruning event. As we age, we start doing those types of running and jumping around things less. So <clears throat> then a person retires. So now they're sitting at home, let's say, watching a lot more TV, not doing too much physically. So the brain is pruning the spatial awareness out. It's pruning out reflexes, agility to your feet, you know, quick responses on your, you know, your ankles and all the muscles in your legs and feet in case you have a little stumble. And also your spatial stuff is getting pruned out too. So you're getting clumsier spatially and physically clumsier. So now they're getting clumsier. Then one day they'll trip over a little, you know, a little uh, attachment be you know, between your, your lino or, or a little threshold strip between lino or carpets or something. Have a little trip. And they, and they should have just had a little stumble, but now they fall on the floor. Then they hurt themselves. So now they're afraid to walk even more. So they stay in their chair more. The brain prunes out more. Now they have to use a walker. And they basically kill themselves because they should have pushed themselves to do exactly what they were struggling with. But they quit instead. <clears throat> so you got to keep active all the time. And, and being active in cardiovascular, too, is not only great for the brain all around. But locomotion is key. You lose your locomotion and your safety to be able to walk from one room to another. Your life is starting to become precarious. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of that's another thing that it's very difficult to, for people. Most people don't like cardiovascular exercise and it, it, it's hard to convince them that brain derived neurotropic factor and a lot of those benefits that come from jogging, like you're talking about, they're yeah. not, they're not derived to the same degree from resistance training. And, right. and most of us, when we haven't done I don't know if you've gone periods of time. You mentioned during the wintertime you lift weights a lot. When you yeah. start running again, it's kind of it's a little bit harder than it was when you were doing it every day or, or consistently, right? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I get, there's a start. And normally I cross-country ski in the winter, oh, yeah. and that helps. But this year we've had no snow, so I have not skied this year. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so running's going to be difficult when I get going. Yeah. Not only will it be slower, but I'll be clumsier too. And I'll have to be a little more careful with my feet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, especially jumping off objects, I could sprain an ankle because my brain doesn't know how to reflex my feet muscles just right yet. Eh? Do you have a warm-up uh, that you do to, to warm up your body and your brain before you work out? you have a routine in that regard? I wouldn't say I have a particular daily routine. I bike to work every day. Yeah. Uh, I'm down to about uh, Fahrenheit-wise, about minus 10. That's so getting cold enough for me. <clears throat> I walk. I also ride a motorbike, which I really love. Uh, I also cave and climb, and that's the other thing too. Caving, and I should show you pictures of us dropping in 200 feet down into crevices and stuff in the in the uh, ice fields, in the glaciers. Very cool. And I'm still doing that at 59, right? So uh, I'm okay with that. Yeah, that's that's impressive. Yeah, I can send you some pictures of that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That sounds that sounds great. One of uh, one of my friends and his wife, they for their honeymoon, they uh, took nine months off their jobs and they're traveling the world. And he was sending us a bunch of pictures this weekend uh, of them climbing glaciers and, and all sorts of uh, cool things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. We have story slams up here, especially guys. Guys don't do as well verbally as women do. Uh, and that's partly, well, I can give you a little background on that, but guy, women are usually better verbally and guys are better spatially. And, and guys will, will, will assume, us being men, of course, <laughs> 
Uh, we will assume we're better spatially because, wow, well, we're smarter. But the truth of the matter is the left hemisphere inhibits the right. And so in the left is your language side and the right is your spatial side. <clears throat> spatial music, you know, repairing transmissions, engines, climbing, finding your way around in the forest, all that is on the right side. Testosterone damages the left side. And so typically guys, and the more macho a guy is, the more they struggle with language because the testosterone damages the language side. So there is some validity to the stereotypes that uh, meatheads are dumb. Yeah, yeah. Certainly they're dumb. So socially, they're not so good, uh, and especially language side. Linguistically, they're not, they're not that good at all. But because the left hemisphere dominates the right, uh, it lets its control go. And so macho, more macho guys are really good with hands-on things. They, they're good mechanics. They're good woodworkers. They're good welders. They're <clears throat> good trades guys because they can all this and art guys and, and uh, they're good painters uh, because and, and things like this because of the fact that they have a, a freer running right brain. And studies have shown that look at look at savant kids for instance. Savant kids are partly savant because they have left brain damage, partly from cortisol and testosterone. And so they're right brain oriented. They're and they're brilliant, you know, uh, artists or musicians. And then you've got people, just, just regular guys growing up. And, and the more stress a person has had in their lives, especially males, because males are more, we, we generate more cortisol under stress. And we already have some testosterone damage just from being males. <clears throat> so if a male in particular has had a stressful life, by the time they become a senior, they're more likely to develop frontotemporal dementia on the left side. Because that's sensitive to stress on that side. And a lot of males when they're 60 years of age or 7 years of age, suddenly become brilliant artists or brilliant musicians and they've never played or drawn a picture in their lives. And it's because the right brain, the left brain now is starting to die off a bit and it's letting its hole in the right brain go. Bingo. They become brilliant in spatial activities. What does the first 90 minutes of your day look like? <laughs> uh, well, I wake up. Often I get on the computer a bit or I'll read some stuff. I like I read research like every day practically. Where do you go for, for your research? Uh, mostly mostly hardcore science articles, you know, uh, science studies, this and that. But a lot of articles in Science of America, and that's a great magazine. Scientific for, American? Oh, yeah. For building dendrites, a great magazine. And, and also Scientific American Law, Mind. I also read that one too. But I think every average person ought to read Scientific American. They cover articles on everything. Everything from the universe to your health to uh, <clears throat> how bridges are built or whatever. It's, it's a great all-purpose magazine, usually written on a pretty easy-to-understand level. And I've been reading that for 20 years, 30 years, ah, 30 years probably. Scientific, Scientific American. I really recommend it. Um, I'll have to check that out. Uh, yeah, so I um, do some of that, do some stretches, uh, make, make breakfast, of course, uh, but again, I don't, I don't use breakfast cereal. What, what do you eat for breakfast? Uh, I'll uh, typically have some fruit, uh, have um, maybe some organic bread on occasion. I mix it up all the time. Sometimes eggs, ham and eggs or something like that. Uh, sometimes fish. I mix it up a fair bit. I never eat the same thing, but uh, I do avoid breakfast cereal at all costs. Okay. And I can feel myself, if I do eat breakfast, I've done this experiment a few times, eating the regular junky breakfast cereal. By about the fourth day, I get anxiety. And uh, I've done that a few times on myself just to test it. What do you attribute that to? 
Uh, probably the lack of nutrition, almost for one, but also probably the bad stuff that's in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if there's pesticides in it, how are you not going to get anxiety? That's what pesticides do. They trigger anxiety, right? Yes. They make the nervous system go wild. So, so yes, I notice that usually about the third or fourth day on a breakfast cereal, I start getting anxious. But if it's organic and, uh, and it doesn't have flakes or something that's been extruded, just the natural oat or the natural grain that's maybe been cut but not popped up, <laughs> uh, I can have, I, I'm okay, I think I'm okay with that. But I always throw in probiotic yogurt, uh, peanut butter is good protein. Uh, I throw in fruit like bananas, blueberries. Blueberries are good for the brain. Uh, things like that, and, and um, I stick mostly to the vegetables. I love vegetables for breakfast, but usually some protein and usually some veggies and fruit. Okay, Actually, that's mostly my breakfast. And you and try then, to, It sounds like you try to eat as uh, these foods as close to the form that they would exist in the wild in nature. Yes, yes, and. Uh, and I'm not a vegetarian per se, but I eat a lot of fruit and veggies. Yeah. A lot of and organic. I keep organic. In fact, I'm still eating my own my own potatoes and carrots from my garden. And they taste amazing still. Yeah. Way better than what you'll buy in the store. How, how do you store them? Believe it or not, I just have them in, 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 in bags in my in, in my garage. So they stay and they stay cold, they, they don't go to eyelets? Oh, they're starting to sprout a little bit now. Yeah, yeah. The taters haven't started sprouting yet, but the the corn, I mean, the carrots are. And I've eaten up the other, the beets already. I've already eaten those off. But, uh, but I'm amazed how good they taste still. They're, they're just amazingly tasty. Wow. So you can see how, how people, you know, hundreds of years ago were able to make it through the winter if you're, you're doing it right now and just the cold temperatures are allowing these foods to, to maintain their nutrition. Oh, yeah. And, in the, in the old days, actually, uh, on farms, it was really easy because they had their cellars, which are in the, in the cut into the ground. Yep. And the ground stays pretty constant. And they have a door over top. And as things decay very slowly, carbon dioxide builds up, which is why you got to be careful. In a lot of those old cellars, you can suffocate in, in, in some of those cellars if they get too much CO2 in them. But it absolutely preserves everything completely. Even if, I mean, they preserve well anyway, even if there is no CO2, but they will... Those old cellars will fill up. Yeah. Time. And CO2 is heavier than regular air, so it sits in there. And if you go down with the cattle, that's what farmers would do. They would go down with the cattle. When the cattle went out, they knew that's where the CO2 level was. That's why it makes sense. Okay. You can preserve stuff for years in CO2. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and keep it really fresh. But anyway, uh, so my day, then I ride my bike to work typically. Uh, that's a typical day, ride the bike into work. Uh, I try to maintain balance too all the time. I enjoy a good beer still, you know, that's no problem. Uh, and and I'll, in the evenings, I'll, I'll play my guitar and sing and do some songwriting or say, write, try to write stories for Story Slam. I realize being a guy, I have to keep working on my speech and my, my diction. What, uh, so what, is, what is Story Slam? You've mentioned that a couple of times. Is that like an yeah. improvisation? These are uh, some of the bars and, and, and uh, clubs, and, or not bars, not clubs, but uh, bars and lounges around town have these story nights. And they have, they have competitions, and you, read, you, you write your own five-minute story, and you present it. And they, they pass the hat around. Everybody throws in, like, five bucks, and the winner gets a couple hundred dollars. It's great. Absolutely great. Uh, writing, the presenting, uh, and winning a couple hundred bucks is always nice, too. And usually you invite all your friends, so you socialize. You have a beer. You socialize. Socializing is great because uh, humans have, so far, um, 
humans have been been logged to have over 3,000 facial expressions. And when we're calm and relaxed and we're feeling good and we're mentally sharp, we're reading all those nuances when we're talking to people, all the, the, the stuff that is not said. And it's always been, it's always been said, speaking of not saying, that communication is 90% nonverbal. And it is. It's all, in, it's all in our body language. It's in our intonation of speech. It's in our facial expression. And, and when we're all stressed out, we go into flight or fight mode and we shut right down and we only see the survival faces, which are like eight. Eight survival faces. <laughs> we don't see the social faces. Right. Uh, uh, when, when we are really stressed, all we really see are fear, anger, disgust, lust, happiness, and a couple others. And they have to be big. And that's why a lot of stressed out people often, you know, uh, they, they poke the buttons at their at their mate and get their mate all pissed about something or angry about something because they need the stimulation because they can't see it otherwise. And you see people going out intentionally, intentionally upsetting people. And that's how they get stimulated. ADHD kids do that a lot. And it's probably just to get stimulated because they, their brains are too slow to normally filter in, to receive stimulation like regular people do. <clears throat> and they do it intentionally to get stimulated. I, yeah, I, I imagine there's a. But when you're when you're relaxed and you're together, then you can you're, you've got full three thousand facial expressions at your disposal to read and enjoy. Right, you right, know? yeah, that's that's fascinating. The, I would imagine too that there's a role with uh, premature wrinkling. If if you're only going to eight different facial expressions, holding your face in those same patterns over and over again. You know, people then associate, well, is it, is it stress that's causing the wrinkling? Well, maybe or maybe directly or indirectly, but if stress is causing you to go to the same eight facial expressions over and over and over again, and then you're, you're kind of holding those wrinkles. Sure. Oh, yeah, when you look at a lot of people, uh, when they die, and they go, gee, they look so peaceful and soft because they've let the muscles go and all that stuff. Yeah, and wrinkles will go too. And a lot of our wrinkles are just held by muscle tone. They're not even necessarily true wrinkles. Right. Just the muscles are holding them there. Yeah. And, again, and if you have a happy wrinkle on your face, you look younger than if you have a frowny or stressed wrinkle on your face. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the the David Delight Pro. Some some of your other um, I, I have the David Smart, the David Delight Pro. Sure. Um, some of your audio, visual, and training devices. For people that aren't familiar, it's um, well, kind of describe describe your technology, the the hardware, the software, and w- what's going on. Okay. Well, as you know, we have three technologies. <laughs> I was going to go three. <laughs> Three technologies, uh, or if I use this hand, two and two thirds. Oh, what happened? Uh, I, I believe it or not, I tore the tip off surfing two years ago. On a fin? Uh, no, caught it between the leash and the board. Oh. And the wave plucked it off. Man. <laughs> you should roll the bad jokes after I did that. <laughs> oh, boy. Have you, have you gone surfing since? Uh, no, but I, I don't have a problem with it. I'm still willing to do that. Okay. I'm just going to make sure I don't hold the board by the leash. This particular board had a leash that was, instead of being a really short leash, it was a rather long one. It was a rental board. And it wrapped just around the nose of the board. And that's where the ping, where there's real good, uh, what's the word, uh, uh, mechanical advantage. That's where the finger got caught. Uh, and the weight came up. And I should have really been holding the board by the board, not by the leash. And normally the leash, the, 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 the tube that spins off it is right there. And if it had been the tube, it would just spun off. There's, I've heard a lot of surfing injuries. I mean, I was out in San Diego. Um, I think it was 2014. That was the first time I tried surfing. 
one of the guys that was there teaching us, he, he couldn't come in the water because he'd smashed his head, got a concussion, broke his nose. Um, I'm out there with my buddy. He tells me the one rule is you don't drop in when someone's caught the wave behind you. Of course, that's like the first thing I do is I drop in on a guy. We collide. Yeah. Something on his board sliced the bottom of my foot up something fierce. I'm like shark chum in the water. <laughs> Just like oh, yeah, was, I think this uh, is shark chum. We, we came yeah. home and I was I was all beat up by the end of by the end of those yeah. three hours in, in, in the ocean. Yeah. Now Tofino is a rather small surfing area and it's on the west side of Vancouver Island. And they lose a finger a week there. Not to mention this is, all this the is other a common thing? Yes. Imagine what California loses. Is there something is there something you would have done differently to uh, protect your finger? Yeah, I would have just held the board by the board, not by the leash, or had a leash with a very short strap, uh, so that it wouldn't have pinched it. What, what was what was the situation that you were you were holding the board? Were you actually surfing? Well, no, I was no, no, I was not surfing. No, I was just pulling the board out into the water, and I was holding it by the leash. And it was the waves were pulling it up and down. And one wave was rather hit rather hard. And it kind of pulled me up a foot off the off the floor too, and at the same time, it took the end of my finger up. <clears throat> and you lose a finger a week just for that reason. All right, Pretty well, yeah. so I'll hold it by the board next time when I take it out, or or a couple feet ahead. Even if someone's something. not at all interested in how to keep their mind sharp, if they're sur- if they're a surfer, <laughs> surfer, they'll uh, they'll be interested in keeping all their digits. <laughs> yeah, unless you need it to count in fractions. Yeah, yeah, um, two thirds. Anyway, wow. <laughs> so anyway. Because I practice meditative breathing, that's one of the things I do, and we do heart rate variability training with our with our stressed clients here. Yeah, what, what technology do you use for that? Uh, I typically use, uh, I have HeartMath and Wild Divine, and I, I use them both on myself and my clients. Uh, I haven't used them on myself now for some time because I'm really good at it. I can really breathe well. Yeah. And, and I do underwater swimming, and I can, I can hold my breath quite a while underwater, uh, about 40 meters, which is... Uh, for a 12, that's about 130 feet I can swim underwater with a breath. What, uh, what does that equate to in time? Oh, about a minute-ish. Yeah. Minute. And, and while it's spending energy, that's a lot. Yeah, we're blowing off energy, yeah. <laughs> and being an old guy. <laughs> right, right. Have, so, you, have you tried uh, Wim, Wim Hof breathing? What's that? Wim Hof breathing, the Iceman. He's got like 26 world records. I interviewed him last week. I'll tell you more about it offline, but you'll you'll sure, like sure. it. Tell me how do, how do you do your how do you do your meditative breathing? Walk me uh, typically, I'm about forty. I'm, I'm, it's a ten second breathing cycle, and I'm about four seconds in and about six seconds out. Maybe three and seven. But I think it's uh, yeah a third in and two thirds out. <clears throat> and sometimes I wake up at night and I'll be racy headed, and sometimes I'll be my heart's going and I'm fast because I'm thinking stuff or whatever. Doesn't happen very often, but the out breath is parasympathetic, right? So it slows you down, and the in breath is sympathetic. And, and so, one of the techniques I teach my people who have sleep disorders, aside from a bunch of other things that we do, is how to breathe yourself back to sleep. And if you get into a nice, smooth, what I would call a sine wave breath, don't suck it in and hold and blow it out and hold. Just smooth in and then get near the top to start to exhale with about a two-thirds exhalation. That way it keeps you two-thirds of the time in parasympathetic mode, which is what helps put you back to sleep. you got to get parasympathetic to sleep. You know, brings up the serotonin, brings up the GABA, gets the brain's adrenaline, the norepinephrine down, and 
sometimes I can do that, and in 10 minutes I'm fast asleep, and it's morning. You know, um, so you can go from a state of anxiety and insomnia to back asleep within 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I breathe longer than that, but sometimes I've been gone, and I, I, roughly I'm thinking probably about 10 minutes, and, and suddenly it's morning now. That's great. Are you doing this? Do you have a preference between in through the nose, out through the mouth, or how do you do it? No, no, just in and out through the nose. In and out through the nose. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've I've noticed that relaxes me more as well. I think so too. And for sleep, you don't want it complicated or it's not going to work, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, so back to our machines, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So flashing lights, as you know, and there's tones bump, 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 tones. Well, we have something unique on our gear that is unique to our brand. We have a patent on the glasses. You know, the right arm goes to the left leg, left leg, right arm goes to the left leg. That would be bizarre. Right arm goes to the left brain, left leg goes to the right brain. And most people think the right eye goes to the left brain, but it doesn't. Um, If it did, that would be very bad. If the right eye went to the left brain and the left eye went to the right brain, then if you lost an eye, only one half, only one hemisphere could process visual information. It's real important that both hemispheres process visual information. So the right fields of both eyes go to the left brain, and the left fields of both eyes go to the right brain. Therefore, you can have a light flashing on one side at one frequency and another one on, on another frequency, and you can get those two frequencies, one in each hemisphere of the brain. Ah. Uh, for depression, that's real important. The left frontal lobe is above the, that's where your happy side is. There's a happy dude there. The nucleus accumbens is there. That's the, uh, the dopamine center. Right next to your speech area, believe it or not. Speech is right about here, and just underneath it is the nucleus accumbens. And it's the happy side. It's also the side that's involved in addictions and stuff too, but in dopamine. But it's the happy side. And on a, when you do a brain map, you see a big pink alpha hotspot there. Because it's, if, it's, if it's shut down, and your fear side on the right is going, you have depression. And uh, uh, so when we can, what we can do is we can stimulate, because uh, entrainment inhibits the half frequency of stimulation. And usually this is 9 to 10 cycles per second. It's usually it's a little bit slow because of cortisol damage over the years. So it's 9.5, it's just pretty common. Uh, so we, we give 18 to 20 randomized on the right, and it inhibits that alpha on the left. So it, And what that means is that it, it wakes it up again because alpha is an idling rhythm. So you get the idling down, so now the engine, the happy engine is going. Meanwhile, we take alpha on the left side for an agitated fear brain on the right, and we settle it down. And on a brain map, you can see this right, man, you put them on that protocol, that mood booster protocol, and you brain map them before, and then you brain map them 30 minutes later, They've gone from sometimes severe depression to almost normal in like 45 minutes. And, and you're talking about uh, the smiley face on your two yes. devices. Just hit. That's right. You, you turn it on, you hit the smiley face, put on the glasses and the headphones, right? And let it run. Yeah, that's right. And it's very fast. And entrainment naturally increases serotonin anyway, which help, which is part, and norepinephrine, two neurotransmitters involved in depression. <clears throat> They're deficient in depression, those two neurotransmitters, and it increases it. Probably increases dopamine, which is also involved in depression, but no one's done that study. Uh, but norepinephrine and serotonin have been studied. They go up significantly after a half hour of, of entrainment. If someone wanted to use your devices to improve their brain health, intelligence, and focus, 
what, what type of protocol would you put together for them? Okay, well, first of all, uh, scenario. Supposing you saw some old Chevy in a farmer's field and you really wanted to buy an old antique car. <laughs> you go out to that car and you notice that the gas tank's open. You go out in the farmer's there and you're, you're talking about it. And you, the gas tank's open and, you, and the lid's open and you go, well, what's the deal? And the farmer says, well, you know, the grandkids would always come over and the nieces and nephews, they'd play mechanic. And so what's in the tank? I don't know, probably a little kerosene, maybe a little diesel, I don't know. Probably some dirt from the field, of course. <clears throat> and so you start it up and the engine goes, it barely runs. Are you going to, first of all, drain the tank or just give it a tune-up? You're going to drain the tank. Right. So, when working with the brain, I always say, get the fuel good in the brain first. Or at least simultaneously. So, get on your, your organics. Get on your vitamins like the True Hope. Get on your, uh, your iodine and whatever other things are good for your brain and your body. Yeah, what are, what are your go-to supplements? Because you try to tool the brain and get on your vitamin D sulfate, of course, from Tanny. Because if you try to tool the brain and there's no nutrition to back it, it's never going to run. Right. So, so it'll improve it some, but it, it's not going to run its best. <clears throat> and if it, but here's the other scenario: the whole body needs nutrition. So supposing your brain is screaming out to you, "Oh my God, I got depression. I'm low in magnesium. I'm low in vitamin D. I'm low in omega threes." <clears throat> and you give it a brain technology, and then it goes, "Hey, you know, I know I'm low all those things, but I feel pretty good now." So you make it insensitive to the nutritional deficits you are still going to catch a disease or a disorder of some sort 10 years later and have no idea you caught it because you made your brain insensitive to it so you didn't bother addressing it. Right, right. So, yeah. I, so I say if you put people right on neurotechnology without looking after the nutrition, you actually you could do them harm. What, what supplements are you taking right now? You mentioned you eat organic. What, what supplements <laughs> yeah, are you taking? Eat organic, uh, take the Iosol, take the True Hope. Those are the main things. I take omega-3s. Okay. Uh, not daily, but uh, probably two, three times a week. And of course, I tan, and, and I also take uh, liquid. Don't, don't, don't take the vitamin D tablets ever. <clears throat> uh, they don't work. They're synthetic. I yeah. take typically uh, Pure Encapsulations brand. Yeah, that's a good medical grade of liquid vitamin D. And of course, when I tan, I get the vitamin D from tanning, so I've got to take very little. If I'm in the summertime, I don't take any, any vitamin D supplements at all because I'm making it all from the sun. Uh, and the sun is self-regulating. You can't overdose from sun vitamin D, and it's the active form. But when I get into the winter, uh, I'm, I'm typically I'm tanning maybe three times a week, again, at a, at a controlled bulb. Oh, the other thing I have to say about bulbs, they only have to be UVB at 5% and low pressure. But the, the tanning salon has got to have an active replacement bulb replacement program because most of these bulbs are rated at 500 hours or 1,000 hours. And some of these people only replace their bulbs when they burn out. They could be tens of hours, tens of thousands of hours old, and they're not making any UVB light anymore. Are so, these are these things you can ask about? So you say, I want five percent or higher UVB. I want low pressure bulbs. I want active bulb replacement programs in place. And a lot of salons don't know what they've got, so you have to be judicious. It's, it's like a sixteen-year-old girl working there, and she. I've, I've asked these questions. Oh and yeah, getting, they have no getting, idea. Looks like you've got horns. So I've got plenty of people all around the country, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I say, take a picture of the part number on the bulbs, and we'll, we'll Google them, and we'll check them, and we'll see what they are. 
And then you see how often do they replace the bulbs. That's the last criteria. Because if there will be enough bulbs, there's no point in using them. Right, yeah. And some salons are good and some are complete, completely mismanaging. Yeah. Okay, so you've got, you've got you, the tank is filled with the right type of gas now. You're eating organic, you're taking, you're, you're, you're tanning, you're getting your, uh, magnesium's another, do you take magnesium or no? Uh, it's in the True Hope supplement. Yeah. Oh, it is. Okay. All right. I, I'll have to look into True Hope. I'm not, I'm not familiar. Um, then, then what? What's the protocol? Uh, okay, there? yeah. You know, um, and I keep my mind alive. Right. That's, that's what I do. I bike, work out. It looks like you work out. I run and do all that stuff and do as many different things as I can in the course of a week. And I use the brain gear some, but not very often anymore. I mean, it should be self-weaning if it works. Right. Uh, but I still have issues sometimes with name recall. I, I struggle. I have some temporal issues in the back where names are. So I'll do transcranial DC stim and I'll, I'll, and I'll crank up my name recall. And, and sometimes like when I'm writing, when, I, when I'm, doing, I'm doing some writing right now, and uh, so I'm working my prefrontal lobes with a, with a skinny little electrode like this. It goes in a little uh, sleeve. Uh, this is not quite the right sleeve, but uh, it goes in a skinny little sleeve. And I work my prefrontal lobes to keep my attention up uh, so I can write better. What device are you using for that? Uh, the Oasis Pro. Oasis yeah. Pro. Yeah. That's something that, that you guys make? Yes, yeah. It only comes as a CES device, a cranial electro stem device. Uh, and, but you can get the transcranial DC stim uh, add-on accessory. And, and then you put that over the part of your brain where that function is. So you have to have uh, what's called, you use your Broadman area map. And a Broadman area map has all the different parts of the brain and what the function is underneath. <clears throat> Here's an example of what I did uh, a few years back. And I've worked with hundreds of clients with this. But the left side is uh, primarily your, your auditory, your, your primary auditory cortex. So if you sing, if you can't sing well in the choir or hold a good pitch, you might have problems there. Well, my left temporal lobe isn't, yeah, I've got some issues with my left temporal lobe. It's not as strong as it should, or as good as it should be, or as connected as it should be. Maybe that's a good way and to say And you verified this through <laughs> EEGs? Yeah. Yeah. I've bring that myself a few times. Yeah. Okay. And my EEG is way better than it was Years ago, uh, way back from the TCDS. Oh, all of it. The vitamin, the vitamin D made a big difference. I mean, I got a brain map of myself on, on uh, of myself with dementia ten years ago because I was deficient in vitamin D. And I actually had dementia. I was a real mess. And that's when I realized how important it was to tan. Yeah. Look, see, eyes open alpha, and I'm flooded with frontal alpha. Eyes open, and then you see me two weeks after sun tanning, and it's all changed, all improved. If you had someone that, that was showing signs of early onset dementia, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, aside yeah. from tanning, how would you recommend they use one of your devices? Oh, tanning, omega-3s, and everything else? Yeah. <laughs> and keep them stimulated, right? Uh, uh, dementia, yeah, we would certainly, well, we would brain map them. And the audio-visual entrainment, uh, we've got enough senior studies to show that it works. So they would be getting on a beta SMR. Sometimes depression, because the left brain gives up faster than the right brain. So if they're showing depression or on the map, then they're going to get an alpha beta. Is, is the beta SMR the lightning bolt setting? No, that's just beta. Okay. Uh, the light bulb is the beta SMR. Okay. And the booster is beta alpha. Okay. Uh, so they're going to get one of the two of those or both. Maybe they alternate them every morning. Okay. Uh, they can do that. That's what I would do on the brain machine side. And then we would consider if we also put them on transcranial DC stem. And, and did 
put the electrodes on and actually tuned up those exact sites. Entrainment doesn't hit temporal lobes very well. It hits the main cortex, great. But the temporal lobes where sensory integration is, like on the right side, spatial, uh, you know, rec uh, uh, orientation, facial recognition, body language, all on the right. On the left, it's all to do with uh, language and speech and audio. If there's deficits there, entrainment doesn't work very well for those. So then I have to go to transcranial DC stem. But typically with dementia, you're going to see more main cortex stuff. So entrainment is probably one of the better, the first place I would probably take them. Unless they see something unique, because some people have had a head injury and it shows up at a site. And entrainment's pretty good for that too, but I would maybe also add it augmented with transcranial DC stem. Earlier we talked uh, offline about some of the research that you found with kids with ADHD and how yeah. they don't actually have ADHD. No. ADHD is, is one of the most misdiagnosed things ever. Uh, more, yeah, probably ever. Because it's, it's not a real objective diagnosis. There is a questionnaire people fill out. And, and, it, and, it measure, and all the questions have to do with inattention, hyperactivity, and, 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 and impulsiveness. And if the, the teacher or the counselor had a bad day, there's a, they have more ADHD kids that they diagnose because they're feeling crappy themselves. So all the kids are irritating and annoying. If they had a great day, less of them are ADHD. So there's a problem right there in the test. Or the lesson's not as engaging, and therefore the children are exhibiting symptoms of ADHD more frequently. Yeah, but even the diagnosis is so flawed. Yeah. So when you look at it from a brainwave perspective, brain waves, and I just and I just did a child, an eleven-year-old boy this morning, flooded with with theta waves frontally. Even eyes open, flooded with theta, and even some delta waves on his front, which means the teacher could be doing, "Hey Johnny, hey Johnny," and Johnny's not there because he's faded out. Especially eyes open. It's one thing to make theta when your eyes are closed and you're getting dreamy. But eyes open, that's not good. It means you're not hearing anything that's going on. It's just one big echo. <clears throat> like on this, like on the Peanuts, you know, Charlie Brown. Yeah. So even of that, only a portion of that is actually ADHD. Because a kid could be really stressed out at home. If you're really stressed out at home and you're scared of all kinds of stuff, your brain slows down and becomes theta-ish. And you can have ADD, ADHD from stress. But it's not true ADHD. If you're really low in minerals and, and nutrition and all that, if you eat breakfast cereal, all those can make you look like you've got a theta ADHD signature. <clears throat> a lot of ADHD kids come from apartment buildings that are wood frame construction and they're noisy. So adjacent suites, people crashing around in adjacent suites are waking them up, sort of half waking them up three, four times a night. They're not getting deep sleep. Now they're full of theta. Look like they're ADHD. But they're not. They're sleep deprived. Uh, so nutrition, sleep, and stress all make you look like you're ADHD, even if you're not, on an EEG level, which is the, the real criteria. And then from that, then when we do EEGs, we actually see a lot of kids with temporal lobe and, and occipital lobe little seizures going on. So there's dropouts when the teacher's talking. There's little dropouts. They, they'll lose five seconds here and eight seconds there, two, three times a minute. So if the, if the child happens to have a sensitive teacher, and maybe Johnny's in grade four and the teacher's talking to little Johnny and she's talking about stuff. And, and she realizes, oh, Johnny's a little glazy. I better repeat myself. Johnny, Johnny, wake up. This is how X plus Y equals Z. 
oh, okay, okay, thanks, teacher. And then, and then Johnny, so Johnny gets a reasonably good grade, passes into grade five. And in grade five, the teacher says, I'm only going to say it once. And so she says it once, and Johnny's missing. Little gaps going on. So after a while, he's like, well, I don't know what we're talking about anymore. So he starts goofing around. You're hyperactive. You need to be put on Ritalin. You do a brain map on him. He's fine. He doesn't, Ritalin's the worst thing to put on him. His brain is great. We've got little seizures going on in the back. What's what's causing the seizures? Is it is it electrical? Does it have to do with the neurotransmitters? Is it circulatory? It can be caused by all of it. It can be brain. It can be nutrition. There's a direct correlation with seizures and vitamin D deficiency, for instance. There's a correlation with seizures and omega-3 deficiencies. Uh, so if he's eating breakfast cereal, not getting good food, he's going to have more. He could have just natural nutritionally based seizures. It could be from brain. It could be from an injury he had once. Uh, it can be difficult. And generally speaking, these technologies, you can use them to treat seizures or put them on neurofeedback and do biofeedback for the brain, right? Neurofeedback, so they play video games. <clears throat> uh, you set up the video game for the correct brain waves, and whenever they make the seizure brain waves, they don't get rewarded. So it teaches them to make the correct, to suppress the bad brain waves. You can do that way too with neurofeedback, but I think neurotechnology like what we use is going to be faster and it's probably more affordable way more affordable yeah it's, it's faster it's easier it's it's more effective transcranial dc stim you can certainly use that to treat seizures uh, put the anode over it so the, the transcranial dc stim that that i have with david delight pro uh oh, that's you, you have ces ces okay cranial electrostimulation okay so tcds that's like the uh, the fisher wallace device right it's very differently designed than the Fisher-Wallace. Very different frequencies. So Fisher-Wallace uses 15 kilohertz. Very, very high speed stuff. Uh, the, uh, the, our our uh, Delights and Oasis, our CES, mostly uses the brainwave range. <clears throat> Nobody ever did research in the brainwave range, uh, and it works very well there. Why not? Why not use it to augment the lights and sounds? Is there a uh, TCDS add-on for the David Delight Pro, or would I get yeah. the Oasis? You have to get the Oasis, yeah. We're, we're controlling that more because it's more medical. Okay. And we just want anybody using it. In fact, anyone who's non-clinical who wants TDCS has to read my article on the, our website and then write the, the, the quiz I use for the, um, the students at, at university. They have to write the quiz. And, and it's not that hard. And uh, so they can do that. Then I'll, give them, I'll sell it to them. Okay. I like that. I'll, uh, I'm definitely interested in picking up one of those. So what do you do with the children that exhibit symptoms of ADHD? How do you, uh, what, what is your treatment protocol like? Well, we're going we're gonna to handle the nutritional side. Right. If, if I can talk them into getting tan, going to tanning, we're going to do that too. Uh, that'll make a big difference in their, in their that'll help them all, all around the board, especially in wintertime up here. Yeah. Yeah. One second. Um, so anyway, yes, uh, nutrition stuff, tanning, um, iodine. And we'll get them on audiovisual for sure. And that will probably rectify a lot of the issues. Uh, sometimes it's a matter of also talking to the parents. Uh, one of the things with ADHD is that it's really nice, especially for the non-compliant ones. And some of them are very oppositional. You put them on entrainment while they're sleeping. And they wake up. Oh, their cerebral blood flow is going in their brain. Their brain waves are already <clears throat> working. Their neurotransmitters have been already tweaked. And they wake up. Bang, bang, bang. They get off to school. No fights, no hassles, nothing. And the parents love it. What what settings do you use? Uh, well, we use the uh, typically the happy face, not happy face. Sorry, we typically use the um, the the, uh, the light bulb. 
light bulb. Brain, yeah, the brain brightening one actually has the ADD protocol in that we use with the primary school children in Minnesota. But the brain brightener one that we use for seniors also works very well for ADHD because we're looking at similar brainwave patterns between seniors with cognitive issues and ADHD. They're quite similar. <clears throat> and as a lot of children get a little bit older, they find that that ADHD protocol that we use in them that was published in Journal of Neurotherapy, they find that one to be a little too aggressive. Uh, for young kids, they need it. Otherwise, it's more dissociating. So it gets them into that trance nice. Otherwise, they're, they're peeking around and looking around and goofing about. Uh, if you take a look at uh, uh, some of the videos on our homepage of our website, have you seen some of those videos? I have not, no. Okay, yeah, they're great. <coughs> There's one video there of these kids at Britannia School. And they're in these big lazy boy chairs. What they're not showing you, and I told the principal of the school, I said, no, lay them flat so they have nothing to play with. And what they don't show you in that video is that the kids literally are in the chairs. They're going, nip, 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 <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. Playing those levers. Yep. Uh, so you got to lay them flat. And, and, and this, the, actually, the, recent, the studies that were done in Minnesota by Michael Joyce, he actually put their legs, their feet, five, uh, six inches higher than their heads. He said, really immobilize them. And he had uh, our gear in mobile, built these nice wooden mobile units that could do 10 kids at a time. And they would wheel them from classroom to classroom while they treat all the kids in the special needs school. Wow. So if, if, you, if someone owns a David Smart, a David Delight Pro, what, what would be the two go-to protocols? Is it, is it the light bulb and the smiley face that you would use most frequently? I'd say there's probably three. One out of the smiley face, the mood booster, one out of the light bulb, and probably a meditation one. Okay. Three prime ones. I've used the meditation one the most by far, but now I'm going to work in the other two. Well, I want to be, I want to be respectful of your time. We've already gone uh, much longer than, than I promised, but I've, I've had a, a lot of fun. Where can people learn more about what you're up to and some of the different devices and technologies that you offer? Oh, well, where people can go to find us, they should go to our website, of course, mindalive.com. Uh, they can attend conferences. I'm, I'm lecturing at the Association of Applied Psychophysiology and Biofeedback. That's a tongue twister next week. <laughs> yeah, say that 10 times. <laughs> no, no kidding, eh? Uh, yeah. Uh, and I'll lecture at different conferences. Uh, but yeah, our website is going to be your best source of information. And the best place, when you get onto mindalive.com, because uh, a lot of people want the research. And i got to say, I had a hard time believing that blinking lights actually did something neurological. I had no idea how, but the more I research them, the more I realize they're actually, the more I research blinking lights, the more powerful they are all the time. To get, you know what I mean? I realize it on a, on a monthly or yearly basis that they're even more powerful than I thought they were the year before. Yeah. As, I, as I do a variety of people with tougher conditions, and I do brain mapping and I follow it all up, I'm amazed at what you can do with blinking lights. But anyway, at the top of, uh, of the, uh, the toolbar on our webpage, it says research. Uh, click on that tab and a little menu drops down and it says research articles by Dave Seaver. Click on that and you'll see a whole list of articles that have been published on me over the years. There's like 15 or so in there. They cover everything from breathing, uh, seniors, ADHD, stress, post-traumatic stress and war vets, uh, how to boost grades in college students, uh, stress, all that kind of stuff. And the top one is all about just physiology. There's stuff on TMJ and dentistry in there too, which our original studies were in. 
Yeah, very cool. And, and if someone was looking to start with just one of one of your technologies, which device would you recommend? You know, of them all, I would recommend the audiovisual. I think it's the most powerful global all-around uh, technology to work with for practically anything. And, and that would be the, the David Delight Pro, the David Smart? Yeah, you know, for a lot of things, they don't necessarily need a pro. But as soon as you, people start talking about all kinds of stress and anxiety, maybe depression, that's a little more significant. I would go into the Light Pro and add the CES component to it. Uh, for most cognitive things, you wouldn't use that. The CES, you would just uh, use a Delight, Delight, Delight Plus, because uh, that's good. the audiovisual is great for boosting cognition, uh, and the CES is typically more for stress, anxiety, depression issues. David, I, I've had a lot of fun. I've learned a lot. I really appreciate your time. You've been very generous, and I think people are going to enjoy this and, and take a lot away from the interview. And they're probably going to ask us to do a part two someday. So if you're up for it, I would I would love to do that. Sure. Yeah, we meandered like a big old river, didn't we? <laughs> we sure did, but we covered a lot. So I think I think it was uh, it was good. I think people enjoy it. Wow. I got to say, your enthusiasm just kept going. So I appreciate it, Anthony. I appreciate you powering through, especially with that cough. I wish you the best. I'll talk to you soon, and uh, and get well, my friend. Yeah. Take care. Keep smiling. <laughs> you too. Thank you again. This episode is brought to you by Millennial Health Systems. Millennial Health Systems engineers innovative and practical light hacking tools for enhancing energy, detoxification, boosting immune function, improving focus, accelerating recovery, and much, much more. They are the brains behind two of my favorite light biohacks I've been using for a long time now with myself and with clients, the Theralumin and the Spectrumite. The Spectrumite utilizes multiple frequency and color combinations delivered through 40 high-powered LEDs to increase mitochondria function, the little energy powerhouses in our cells that produce ATP, boost nitric oxide production, and encourage a state of relaxed focus. It's based on NASA research, which has found this type of low-level laser therapy, abbreviated LLLT, greatly enhanced the natural wound healing process and more quickly returned patients to pre-injury and pre-illness levels of activity. It's a one-stop shop for all of your light hacking needs. I use both the Spectrumite and the Theralumin every week and consider the Theralumin a cornerstone of the programs I put together and has helped some of my clients recover from chronic fatigue and other conditions with infectious causation like Lyme's disease. The Spectrumite is controlled via Wi-Fi using a smartphone application that's both intuitive and easy to use. And the Theralumin has literally two buttons, on and off. It's very simple. You can check out both products at millennialhealthsystems.com. That's millennialhealthsystems.com. Two L's and two N's in Millennial. And right now, my listeners, that's you guys, will get $100 off the Theralumin and $50 off the Spectrumite. Just mention the code BIOHACKS to get that discount. This episode is brought to you by Bioptimizers. That's bioptimizers.com. And more specifically, there are two products that I use every day, Masszymes and P3OM Probiotics. Masszymes is a medical-grade enzyme formulation that increases your enzyme potential, allowing for optimal protein digestion and absorption necessary for growth. Additionally, the formulation cleanses your GI tract of undigested protein while improving energy and cognitive function, all the while reducing the resources needed for the metabolization of food. And less resources being allocated toward the metabolization of food by your body means more energy for you. Masszymes is the strongest proteolytic enzyme formulation on the market today, and at 85,000 HUTs, it contains more protease per capsule than any other formula. 
P3OM probiotics are a patented probiotic formula developed by one of the world's leading probiotic experts. P3OM uses a patented process to enhance L. plantarum's capacities, resulting in a new super strain that may be the most powerful probiotic developed. This probiotic is designed to help you combat viruses, retroviruses, and super bacteria. I use P3OM and Masszymes every day, along with a number of other probiotic supplements that I cycle, which is an important aspect of getting the best effect from your probiotics. So you never want to take probiotics. You never want to take the same probiotic every single day, and you never want to take the same amount every single day. So I am constantly cycling in different probiotics that I have found to be the most effective, changing up their dosage to keep the body adapting and constantly evolving. So you can save 10% on your first order of P3OM probiotics and masszymes by going to buyoptimizers.com. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com and entering discount code biohacks, that's B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S, at checkout. So once again, that's masszymes and P3OM probiotics, and you can save 10% on your first order at buyoptimizers.com with discount code biohacks.